Hello and welcome to the Potshot Podcast, an Arsenal podcast for nerds. I'm Alex Towles, and of course I am joined by the wonderful Alex Collings. Hello, Alex. <laughs> Hi, Alex. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good too. Uh, and today is a pretty different episode to usual, uh, because we have guests, but they're not actually here right now. Earlier this week, we spoke to Aaron Manise and Case Van Hemmen of Devils in the Details podcast, uh, looking ahead to the Manchester United game this weekend coming up, uh, and you will hear that discussion later on in the pod. But for now, we are going to be talking about the Fulham and Villa games. So if you want to skip straight to the United discussion, you can do that. I'll put a timestamp in the podcast description and you can skip straight there because I know a lot of Manchester United fans will have been directed to this podcast. But if you do actually want to have a quick chat about the Fulham and Villa games, we're going to be doing that first. Let's get right into it. So, we are recording this immediately after the Villa game. Like, literally, it's 10 o'clock on Wednesday afternoon. The Villa game ended half an hour ago. Uh, And my immediate feeling straight after the game is that we should have won by way more than we did. Uh, (laughs) Like, uh, like the XG shows that. Like, the XG's come out, like... Two and a half to three-ish for us compared to ranging between... I think between... it's three. Yeah. Stats bomb have it at three, which is more reliable. So, good. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good uh, to, like, at most half an XG for Villa. Uh, and, yeah, we only won 2-1. We should have won by a lot more, but the fact that we're even saying that and the fact that we had the chances to win by a lot more is pretty good. I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Alex, how are you feeling about the game? Uh, I feel really, really good. I think it's been these last two games, because we're also speaking about the Fulham game, and really emotional high games. I mean, different ones, kind of Fulham was like a tough one that we dug out. We played well as well, um, and we kind of just came through at the end. This one was like a completely different one, I think. The scoreline, even though it was the same as the Fulham game, was like a completely different game. We wrecked them, basically. Mm. in everything but the scoreline and yeah it was just a lot of fun to watch especially that first half yeah that that first half like i've watched a little bit of man city this season not loads uh but like the way in which they just smush teams and rack up goals uh that's what the first half felt like except it wasn't man city it was arsenal and that was very fun uh, i liked that <laughs> Uh, I did not like the fact that we didn't score the vast majority of the chances. Like, Saka could have had two, Jesus could have had two, Gabriel Martinelli almost scored an absolute worldie. Yeah. How many goals do you think we should have scored in the first half? Well, I mean, (laughs) the XG was around about 2.2 after the the first half, I think. Something around there. So, you know, if we'd gone in 2 0 up, if we'd gone in 3 0 up, if we'd gone in 4 0 up, given the chances that we had, I wouldn't have raised an eyebrow. I think we were completely dominant over them in the half. I think, uh, Emi Martinez had some decent saves, to be fair to him. Um, especially that one Martinelli one. Um, yeah, not that that was a very high XG chance <laughs> that reflected our dominance, but, but just to put it out there, I mean, I know he messed up for the goal, Emi Martinez. So yeah, I think we we did really, really well. I mean, 1-0 was definitely... We deserved more than that going in. Um, but I wasn't too worried. I felt like we were completely in control. Uh, we came out in the second half 
I think we conceded more control to them. Um, I don't know if that was purposeful. I think they probably made some changes. We're doing this on the whistle, so I would really want to like watch it back to understand why. But overall, I wasn't I wasn't worried at all. Really, I think we were still really in really good control, um, and it was a really good game. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, right. Let, let's let's have a think about like the second half then. I, I know you said you wanted to watch it back like just then, but even on the first watch, we weren't peppering them in the second half in the way we were in the first. So what changed? I think intensity dropped. Um, not in a worrying sense that it maybe has in the past, but I think it's fair to say intensity dropped. I think that's something that happens, as we spoke about on the previous pod, pretty much every game, every Arsenal game. I think after we were 1-0 up, we seemed to really be pushing for that second goal in the first half while they were like under the cuff. Um, and then in the second half, we seemed a little bit less stressed about it. But we were still pretty dominant. I think... Yeah, I think Villa also just kind of came into it in their own a little bit. I think Bailey had a good second half from them as kind of like a way to relieve pressure. Uh, so yeah, that that was basically it. I don't think, I mean, their goal came from like a weird in-swinging corner thing and we were in total control after that. And then the way we turned it up immediately, again, right afterwards, shows me that I think we were in control of the match the whole time. And yeah, on another day, we would have been... We would have been three or four nil up by the time that they'd got that like weird Douglas Louise in swinger with like I think Watkins might have been fouling Ramsdale. I'm not too sure. I feel like Ramsdale could have done better. Having said that, so yeah. This is an aside, uh, but this is not the first time that Douglas Louise has done that. <laughs> he did yeah, it in the Carabao right. Cup, uh, which was like like okay, I, I wouldn't even have known this if the highlights didn't pop up on my YouTube while I was bored the other day, but like. Yeah, like, this is the second time this season that Douglas Louise has scored a goal directly from a corner, and it's like the second time in a week as well, because the Carabao Cup games were like midweek last week. So it's just wild. Apparently he spent this whole week on social media, like, reposting it and saying about how he has this in his, like, in his arsenal. So, <laughs> so yeah, for him to score that against us, I mean, fair enough, man. Um, like... Literally. Oh man, I, I I hope he does it every week. Like, honestly, <laughs> but that'll be imagine scoring ten goals from corners, but every single one is just the guy scoring directly from the corner. That'd be wild. While the goalkeeper's getting mildly fouled, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. The weird, weird corner kick goal segue out the way. Uh, those responses to going behind, I think we've seen that enough times now to say it's a theme. We saw it when we conceded against Fulham. We saw it when we conceded against Leicester earlier in the season and we've seen it when we've conceded against Villa today. When we go behind, our aim is to go and score again immediately. Yeah, I think like we can kind of break this up, but from like a, a fan aspect, I have to say when we conceded that goal, I don't think I've ever been as confident, maybe in my entire time supporting Arsenal, that we were going to hit them back immediately. Um, and I think that confidence is like shared by the team. So Will we keep, like, hitting teams immediately back? No, I don't think we will. I think there's going to be frustrating games where we are unable to do that. But the attitude's completely different, and it makes it more likely. Like, the way the team responds, I think this is something Arteta has been drilling into the side since he came in. There's there's that, like, resilience now, right? Immediately the team was hungry to, like, hit them back. And I think the fact that they've actually now done this a couple times 
imagine the amount of confidence that they must actually go into like going a goal down it does it it doesn't feel like that mental block that it really has felt for so long in the Wenger era especially in the Emery era um and early Arteta like it always felt like this block like when we conceded like everything kind of fell apart a little bit it doesn't feel like that at all now I think if we go back to the Fulham one apparently it was like the first time since 2013 that we've come back to win a game after the first goal was conceded in the second half so a bit specific but basically when when we conceded for the other team to go ahead in the first half and uh, in the second half that's the first time like we've actually come back since 2013 so see so yeah, i think it's definitely a change and it it's nice that we it's nice that we have this resilience as a team now and also just i guess the ability to hit them back i mean with like guys like martinelli and and gabriel Jesus, we feel dangerous right like with all respect to Laka, who i love a lot like didn't feel like we, you know, him like hitting you back to get us back in the game was always more of like a, it could happen rather than this is like feels more inevitable. So it's really nice. Yeah, and like as you said, it's not going to happen every time. Like we're not literally going to score every time, but it feels like we're going to try every time, and that to me is encouraging in and of itself because of like the resilience and. The character and the team that you mentioned, and actually on that point, I think I think we can actually speak to Arteta's changes because I think it's been a big criticism that's been leveled at him in the past, and rightly so, that he's been like weird with his substitutions and too late to make attacking substitutions. But if we go back to the Fulham game, which we're obviously covering as well, um, just how immediately he made that change after after I think it was after we conceded, right? Um, Took off Tierney, and I think we can speak a lot about Tierney's role later. But took off Tierney, basically played Martinelli. Uh, so Eddie Nketiah came on for, for Tierney. Um, Martinelli kind of played like a left wing back role for a bit, and then Saka was there for a bit, and Martinelli was right. Seemed to have a lot of different guys like occupying that space. But the point was basically we became, he took that kind of like gamble, but it didn't feel like a gamble either because I think Arteta's finally, I don't think he's, he's like shed that like natural conservatism he has about him as a coach, but I think he's confident enough in like our structure now that we can make those attacking changes and it's not going to be like just throwing everything at the wall. It's still going to be like a good structure that can defend well. People know their roles. We didn't really look like we became weaker defensively. Um, and we added a lot in attack, right? So I think it's very, it's very exciting. I don't just think it's, alongside like that the change in like attitude resilience and like belief from the squad you get from these players and i mean they all speak about it like um gabriel magalesh spoke about like how after he conceded everyone was like okay now we just have to go school i think you see that and then there's the structure that can actually help them achieve that as well and help us turn that gear yeah and touching on those lineup changes actually because these have been the first two games this season where we haven't seen the same starting eleven that we started the season with. Obviously, Thomas Partey and Alexander Tinchenko have been out through injury, and so Kieran Tierney and first Moal Nani, who then went and got injured himself, so Samuel Lukonga came in. Uh, and those changes have affected the way that we play. We talked earlier in the season about how Zinchenko has really positively changed the way that we play down that left-hand side. Uh, how do you think... Putting Tierney back in has changed the d- 
dimensions of our attack? So I think for me, that was the big sort of like change, obviously, in the Fulham game, but also something that held us back a bit. Um, it's worth saying we played on Saturday and apparently Zinchenko came like, turned out to be injured, failed a fitness test or something on Friday, right? So it was really a last minute, like, switching him in. That was obviously the biggest change in the match in terms of how we were going to play. And I think you kind of saw that versus Fulham. Like, we didn't really look that fluid. He was doing that inverting stuff, especially... Uh, he was inverting like Zinchenko does, especially in the first half. And I mean, it's something he he was doing last season. But you can see that... It, you can just see now that we've seen what Zinchenko does then with the rotations that are available. With Tierney, it just wasn't working. It wasn't fluid. Um... I mean, even in this Villa game, sorry to jump between games, but early in the half, he was sitting quite quite narrow, and there was one moment where we created a really nice overload, got it to, to Tierney just to open his body and play Martinelli, who had space, and he couldn't do it quick enough, and he kind of just kicked the ball like almost out, like almost looked like a moment of frustration that he was kind of slowing down the play. Um, so I do sympathize with him. But in the Fulham game, like that was very apparent, and... Just we didn't we didn't have that kind of control and ability to sustain pressure higher that we have when Zinchenko plays there. Um, so yeah, we looked a bit more stodgy. I think we also did change things up. Basically, what we started to do is either from the first phase we would be playing Tierney narrow, and I don't think it was working inverting, or we would actually push him high and wide from the first phase. And I think another part is that with Zinchenko and everyone like you have that flexibility to be able to swap in between like inverting and playing high and wide within like the same build-up, right? As you move from the first to the second phase. That wasn't really the case with, with Tierney. So we sort of had to commit to either him being like inverting or, or playing wide. Um, and yeah, it just looked, it looked a lot less comfortable for the team. I think it wasn't helpful. We weren't getting the ball to Martinelli in good areas. Um, we weren't allowing Martinelli to kind of cut in. I think I said at halftime that I think we just kind of had to commit to Tierney being kind of just used more wide. And I think we saw that this game versus Villa. I think there was a compromise. He was still inverting a little bit. And he was still playing narrowish, but it was far more of a performance where he was like that wide option. And even if he wasn't like gunning forwards as much as he used to, like a couple seasons back, that was sort of the role he was playing. And we kind of almost used... Xhaka was very impressed with to go on the side because we kind of used Xhaka as that guy to then kind of kind of take up those those spaces, right? I was very impressed with his ability to get up and down the pitch. I mean, it's not something that we you think Xhaka can do, but he keeps impressing me in this eight role because he kind of felt like he was everywhere, right? Um, but yeah, we had a bit more of a double pivot at times, I think, today. Um, with some be obviously the nominal lone pivot. Uh, but yeah, I think it was more, it was a more comfortable, um, sort of compromise that we made for Tierney this week. Uh, well, today. And I think if Zinchenko's out, I think that's how we're going to kind of operate versus Man United, which I'm not totally against because it definitely did make us a lot more solid down the left side. Uh, let's quickly chat about. The other one change that was made, but it had to be made twice because obviously Elneny then got injured. Um, but uh, so leaving aside like the different role that like Partey gives us, 
Did you notice much of a difference between having Elmene playing the six and having Sambi playing the six? So, I mean, I think it's a complete difference, right? I think it's also partly down to like the opposition we faced, but versus Elmene, we were we covered our central spaces really well. Uh, we were really good defensively. I thought he did an admirable job. I mean, I, I like Elmene. He's dependable. He's really nice as like that fifth guy of like your squad for midfielders, right? Um, but in possession, he's never doing anything too special. Sambi was great in possession today. I think he he's done better than anything we've seen from from number five party or on any obviously in possession. I thought he was really really good when we were on the ball. He was moving, especially in that first half. He dimmed a little bit in the second, but yeah, just what he offers us. He's really fluid with the ball. He has really nice passing range. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Sambi. We did look very suspect in transition moments, and I think we were kind of lucky that maybe. Villa weren't that good or weren't that organized once they kind of hit us in the break because they definitely had space to work with. Um, I would have to watch it back. I don't even know where Sambi was at moments. <laughs> it just felt like there was this huge space, like gulf of space in the middle. Um, and that's something we need to work with with him. So it scares me a lot. I, I know we're going to get to the Man United thing. And at the time, Gary O'Driscoll had from his car told fans that oh Zinchenko and and Partey will be fit for like Villa, which they evidently weren't, and thus by extension we thought it would be fit for Man United. Um, so apologies that we didn't have that insight. I'm a lot more nervous about how Sambi's gonna fare, and it worries me a little bit because I think Arteta's always got the slight doubts about Sambi, especially because what Arteta really likes is like good structural, especially in the counter press and in transitional moments with Sambi doesn't offer us. Um, I'm just scared that like Sambi's not going to do well against United with those responsibilities. And yeah, that, that I don't always know if Arteta is the most forgiving. Uh, I think he kind of has to be. We have no one at the moment. So just quickly before we wrap up this section, uh, you mentioned there that with Sambi in the side, potentially defensive transitions are going to be a little bit nervy which isn't great going into Manchester <laughs> United, where the one thing they're actually good at is attacking transitions. Um, but is there... It's fair to say that we've had a pretty easy five games. We've won them all, great, but we've had a pretty easy five games to start the season. Is there anything you've seen, anything else you've seen that like is particularly worrying going into bigger games? I think I think it is just the the transitional moments like because we've changed it up I don't have a, a fully formed opinion yet because I want to see how we handle it um, but I think definitely that left side when we have Zinchenko and Gabriel there I'm more I'm more oh Gabriel I'm more comfortable when we have Tierney defending there um, but then now with with Sambu we look quite open in the middle so that's that's what I'm a bit worried about um, yeah that would be the big weak points or potential point where we can be exploited that I that I'd be looking to for these next games. Yeah, fair enough. Uh that's about all we got time for for talking about Fulham against Villa and that's because we have a big long conversation about the Arsenal against United game this weekend coming up. We chatted to Aaron and Case from the Devils in the Details podcast, and they were amazing. Uh, and I hope you're really looking forward to hearing that discussion. So let's jump back in time to take a look forward at the United game. 
right, here we are. And it doesn't get much bigger than this in terms of Premier League games. Away at Old Trafford this weekend. And we are joined by some big names in the football analytics community to talk about it. Aaron Manise and Kays Van Hemmen are two of the smartest Manchester United commentators, uh, observers talk about us that you'll find on the internet anyway they do a podcast too it's called devils in the details and you should totally check it out if you want the lowdown on what's actually going on in amongst all the mess that is manchester united right now uh, but they're here with us for this week to chat man united against arsenal and i'm really looking forward to it hi guys how you doing good but not as smart as you claim pretty good pretty good alex thanks for having us on and it's gonna be fun Before we actually talk about this game, I feel like I should throw in a quick disclaimer, and that is that we are recording this on Monday evening. You're listening to it on Friday, if you're listening to it when it first comes out, but we are recording this on Monday. So if anything happens midweek, we don't know, hasn't happened yet, sorry. It's just the wonders of scheduling that we're having to record this a little earlier than might be ideal. Uh, But yeah, please don't complain at us in the comments uh, if we are saying people are going to play when they're obviously not close to the time. Actually, maybe do. It's going to be good for the uh, old podcast algorithms. So, let's get into it. This is an Arsenal podcast. I I know this is also being touted as a United podcast because you guys are here, but it's an Arsenal podcast. So we have Arsenal listeners who may have been plugging their ears and closing their eyes every time Manchester United have been on a football pitch this season. Aaron, can you tell me how Manchester United played in that victory against Liverpool and so how we think they might play against Arsenal? Sure. Like, that's a, that's a big question. But I think the primary things that perhaps are important to look at are what was different between that and the 4-0 loss against Brentford. Um, and I think the two main things were, one, De Gea was not going short in build-up. Virtually every time De Gea gets the ball, he goes long. And what that means is that he tends to play the ball into somewhere in the region of the middle of the pitch. But when I say middle, I mean vertically, by the way, not horizontally, near the half line. And whether United win or lose the duel, what tends to occur next is a sequence of second balls uh, that United try to win. And that's been the alternative to getting out from the back instead of trying to play out of the press. And I think that and with opposition like Arsenal, I think that's likely to persist. And basically what I've seen so far is the second effect that that implies is that the United's pressing and their um, their winning of second balls has to be a lot better than it has been in past seasons. Um, and I think it has been for long periods of the matches that they've been in. So against Liverpool in the first, I would say up until Rashford scored the second goal, which is in roughly the 55th minute, Um, United were definitely winning more of the second balls and therefore getting opportunities to get up the pitch. Um, But then in the last sort of 35 minutes, they tailed off. And it was the same with Southampton, except it lasted maybe like five to ten minutes longer, I think, Um, where in the last half hour, United end up being camped up in their half because they have no way of getting out of the press and they're not winning enough second balls to get up the pitch. Um, Other than that, I think it's pretty similar to a lot of things that you would expect like they're trying to get the forwards to work harder out of possession the last season United's forwards are excellent in transition like Rashford if he plays Martial Alanga Sancho they're all experts at transition football um, attacking teams 
by getting in behind them. Martial, less of an in-behind player, more of a good sort of decision-maker who has a lot of skills that can help you get up the pitch. Um, they have the ability to hurt you a lot in transitions, and they have a pretty good ability, I would say, to defend settle possessions, but where I think you can often hurt them is by forcing mistakes um, by creating situations where they lose the ball high up the pitch or forcing errors and build up if they try to go short um, or defending in your own half and forcing United to take the onus and break you down. Um, and those are probably the things that Ten Hag has been hired to fix primarily. And I think the first sort of signs that he is are the intensity out of possession that you're seeing, especially from the attack from the off. Um, but a lot of the other fundamentals still aren't there yet. And that's probably why uh, I would expect Arsenal to dominate the proceedings in this game. Aaron's given us a really nice overview there of United. Thanks, Aaron. But you mentioned a couple areas of perhaps weakness there that Arsenal might be able to exploit. Uh, Alex, do you think Arsenal are going to be able to exploit the weaknesses in Ten Hag's not quite fully formed United side? Yeah, I mean, look, if they if they try to build up the back, like playing sort of deep progressions on the back, I think we'll handle them well. I think we have a really good pressing side that also knows when to press, um, and they obviously have struggled with their early phase build-up. So I think that's going to be, you know, I don't think, I think they'll struggle if they do that. I don't see them doing that. I do think they're going to go play long and then try to win second balls. Um, so I think that brings up a sort of an interesting thing as just kind of how we prepare for that. I think we do want to be ready for if they try build deeper that we can kind of catch them out because that is a big mismatch between the sides, in my opinion, at current. Um, then it's just about when they play those long balls, being able to have a good structure to sort of to handle them. Um, one thing I do have, I can't even completely remember your question, but one thing that I think they have over us and I don't think we've been exploited yet is that I'm scared of them in transition, um, especially with how we are structured now. We cover less of the width of the pitch um, sort of in transition moments to protect. We kind of rely on Saliba being a bit more of a sweeper and we have sort of, we try to cover those higher areas to kind of win balls back. But if it gets in behind, there's a lot of space out on the flanks, which isn't bad because it means we can we can reorganize quickly in the middle. But obviously when you have really good transition players, that can be quite scary. And the only team that has really done that against us was Palace um, and United. I think Palace have really good wide players and players that can hit you in transition. But I think United are probably maybe a bit more dangerous in that in that respect. Maybe. Um, so that's sort of a mismatch that I see on their side. And it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to kind of see if Arteta for this game tries to kind of drop our structure back a little bit and cover that width to protect the flanks more and then kind of does concede a little bit of that control and ability to counter-press quickly that we have a little bit higher in the pitch. Or, or yeah, whether we actually kind of try to cut it off at the source and stop them from playing those long balls so that we can hit them quickly. Because obviously we're also a pretty good counter-pressing side in our own respect, in our own right. So, yeah. Okay, so do you think there's anything specifically United might do to try and exploit Arsenal's uh, perhaps weakness in transitions or try and get at them in a way that other teams haven't yet this season? Um, as for deliberately exploiting them in transition, I think beyond deliberately ceding, ceding possession to some extent, 
I don't see like a specific strategy that's like Arsenal exploiting Arsenal as opposed to exploiting possession size that we come up against. I'm almost certain Rashford will start this match. Uh, he's generally the person who creates the most threat in these matches for us because he's so fast <laughs> and a really good finisher in open open space. Um, but beyond that, it'll depend on personnel combinations. One thing that I do think we might see is we're almost certainly not going to play out from the back from goal kicks. But I do think maybe in the second phase of possession, you will see us try to maintain a little bit of possession um, and do something similar to what we saw this last weekend against against Southampton, um, where John McKenzie of TIFO and The Athletic did a really good video on this. But there's something that we've been working on throughout preseason, and it's sort of a mechanism where Dallow goes inside and you have one of the you have the right winger pull outside and you go direct from the center back to the winger, the winger drives inside, and Dallow is left unmarked wide. And though I think you guys are really good out of possession, so it'll be interesting to see if this works at all. Uh, I do think you'll see that pattern show up when the ball does get back to our center backs in a moment where your press isn't triggered. I think it, it looks good. Like, I also watched that video. I can't say that I've, like, watched you guys in enough depth to know, like, that you guys use that very regularly. But the one thing I do think is I think in those instances, I think the way that our press is sort of structured, especially with Odegaard as kind of the the leader of the press, and he's quite intelligent in that respect, I think at the moment without you guys kind of having, like, a six you can, you know, receive on the turn and break and, def- and break the press in different ways is that the fact that maybe it's something that you're kind of relying on now means it's a bit easier for us to defend against as long as we have intelligent enough players in those situations, right? So, but yeah, that's that's my main reason for kind of thinking that it's something we can prepare quite well against. I'm less interested in that and more interested in the wing dynamics. And this is really getting down in the weeds, so I'll try not to go too in-depth. But yeah, I'm more interested to see if we keep on seeing Dallow invert and the wingers come deep against a press that I think is as sophisticated and developed as yours is, as opposed to something more raw, like sort of just hitting the wings with long balls and hoping players like Casemiro and Fred and McTominay and whoever else is in midfield uh, can sweep up and sort of create breaks. I, I think the main thing with these like mechanisms is that like, if we're picking up on this as a thing, as just some guys on a podcast, then I trust Mikel Arteta and Manchester United scout it, like, scouting teams to also know that they're a thing and probably have a plan to stop it. At least probably that one is the most notable one. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see like if you've got, if they are tricks, if you how many other tricks you have up your sleeve or if United's build up is a one trick pony. What lineup do you guys think that um, United are going to come to this game with? Because we've seen a lot of different options tried over the first few weeks of the season. They seem to have settled on a lineup in the Liverpool and Southampton games. Do you think that's going to be the same lineup we see against Arsenal? Uh, I can take this one. No, I think there will be at least one change from that lineup. Um, and that change is bringing in Casemiro. So. I think at some point I expect Casemiro to start, whether it's against Leicester or against Arsenal is his first game, I'm not sure, but I would be surprised if he's not playing against Arsenal because 
even in the 10 minutes against Southampton, I think his defensive discipline in comparison to some of United's other midfielders showed in a big way. Um, at the back, De Gea will probably play, or definitely play. Um, Dalo and Malasia are what I would expect as the fullbacks. Malasia's athleticism... I, I still like Luke Shaw, and I have hope for Shaw, but Malasia's athleticism is... I think a real source of enablement for this style of play where United are perhaps less reliant on build-up and more reliant on intensity. Um, and going with that, I would also expect Lissandro and Varane. Um, Maguire's a clear advantage over Varane is on the ball, and I think Varane was not really exposed against Liverpool um, in the style United were playing, so I would expect him to be the leading candidate. Um, it's hard to speculate with what could happen against Leicester, in the middle of now and that game, but one sign you might see is that Sean Maguire start the Leicester game, which to me would be a sign that Malasia and um, Varane are going to start against um, Arsenal because he probably won't rotate Martinez and um, and Dalo. Um, I expect to see Ericsson and Bruno. I expect to see Rashford, as Case said. Martial picked up an Achilles injury, which sounds bad. Like it was talked about pretty lightly, but it sounded pretty bad. Um, so I expect Martial be out. I'd be surprised to see Ronaldo play, which means that Rashford's the key candidate to start up front. Um, and then Sancho will definitely play. And the last spot will be Anthony if he's ready. I think. Uh, otherwise, it'll be Anthony Alanga. Yeah, I agree with that 100. percent like obviously, you want to bring in your shiny new 100 million euro guy, but I think Alanga might actually be pretty useful for United in this game, especially like with transitions and stuff. Like he, his skill at like running off the ball, especially down that right hand side. Uh, Alex and I have talked before how about how Zinchenko can occasionally get caught a little bit high, and I think Alanga could be quite useful getting in behind that left flank. I. I'll kind of answer that one too by saying I think Anthony would be even more dangerous. Um, I think, at least from what I've seen of Ajax in these big games, Anthony used to sit pretty high up and then pick up the ball and run a lot of different transition plays, which I think would be what I would expect to see um, if Anthony comes into the side for this big game. Um, Elanga's movement is surprisingly quite varied. Like It's not like Rashford where I think his movement is excellent in, in transition and not really very good against uh, against a perhaps block. Elanga's kind of balanced where he, he has good movement, I think, in behind, but also uh, can move against a block. So in this particular fixture, I think that makes Rashford more dangerous. Um, and given the fee that Anthony was signed for, I think he plays. But where Elanga perhaps provides a lot of value is out of possession because he's very good at sort of, I don't want to say chasing, but like, He's he's quite polished out of possession. He's definitely more polished than Rashford. Um, one thing that was prevalent from the Liverpool game is Elanga was, in my opinion, chosen to play out wide with Rashford in the middle, specifically to mark Trent Alexander-Arnold um, on the ball. So Elanga played a really prominent tracking role, whereas Rashford had a little bit more... Um, he, he stayed up the pitch a little bit more. And then he was subbed at halftime for Martial to come on for ball retention. But basically what that says to me is if Alenga does play and there are other options, which I don't think is likely, the reason will be to provide that level of maybe defensive intensity uh, that you don't get from Rashford for sure. Um, I'm not sure about Anthony, but you don't get it from Sancho really. 
Okay, so let's move on to what Arsenal's starting lineup might be for this game. And I think it's fair to say that we know what Arteta's preferred starting eleven is, at least right now, because it's the eleven that started the first three games of the season. Obviously, we didn't see that eleven going into the Fulham game last weekend due to a couple of injuries, but other than that, Arsenal have started the season playing the same eleven week in week out. Alex, do you expect there to be any changes to our 11? Or do you think Arteta's going to stick with what's worked? I expect us to have exactly the same lineup that we've had for the first three games um, of the season. Um, I think that there, there has been discussion of it, Tierney versus Zinchenko. And what I'll say is I think when we have Tierney, we are a lot more solid in defensive moments. Um, and also, it's good for Gabriel because Gabriel's not very good defending when he has to go wide. Like, yeah, he isn't good defending that, like, the wider part of the pitch. He's quite good at defending, like, that left half space, I guess, especially close to his own box. Um, and Zinchenko doesn't provide that, that protection there. So we do look weak there. With all that said, I don't see Arteta changing. I never did, actually. I know it was a big discussion among the fan base, like, that will use Tierney in big games. I think Arteta's always been someone who really does like to stick with a team that kind of works, and especially with how good we are in possession and with what we do in possession, I think Sinchenko was always kind of, kind, of, kind of going to be the guy. I think we could see Tierney come on like at 60 minutes if we're one up for sure. Um, but yeah, I think that's the main talking point. I guess the other one is maybe White versus Tomiyasu. Um, that one I could see changing, uh, especially because Tomiyasu's, you know, got more athleticism maybe to deal, I'm also more hyped to kind of deal with, like, long balls, I guess. Um, but I think with kind of what I said about Ateta liking to stick with what what, what, what has worked, um, I think we'll stick with, with White. So, so yeah, nothing, not as interesting, we don't have, like, Casemiro to come in or something like that. Um, but I think that's pretty much going to be the team. Um, I have a question if you guys want to answer. Um, so I've watched all your games so yeah. far, and I still don't really have a full opinion on Ben White at right back. Um, and I guess there are a couple options, because if Tommy Asu plays at right back, let's say, Ben White could play at center back. And in theory, I mean, this pro- this almost definitely won't happen, but Ben White could play at right back and Tommy Asu could play at center back. Um, so you guys, basically, you have a lot of options. And I just wanted to know... Like, in my opinion, the best option is to buy an elite right-back eventually. But for now, I wanted to know what your opinion is that the best three of Gabriel White, Saliba, Tomiyasu, and in what configuration in the current Arsenal setup? It's a tough one because there's, like, trade-offs that don't necessarily feel like one is much better than the other. Um, you know, the, the benefits of one compared to the other. I think it, Tommy Yasu versus White really could be something that, that goes game to game, more likely at least than, than other stuff. Um, I don't, I don't think Arteta views Tommy Yasu as a, as a center back, uh, at all. Maybe he will, but up to now and with how we've gone into other games when we've missed a center back and Tommy Yasu hasn't really been an option. I don't think that he is being considered that now, especially that we have four guys who can be center back ahead of him, potentially, right? Um, I also don't think, at least for this game, that, like, let's say we play Tom Yasu at right back, which we could do, um, especially if we're going to be a bit more conservative in possession. I don't think that that means that we'll see, like, Saliba versus White. 
I mean, uh, sleeper next to White's. I think if anything, it'll be like Gabriel White again. Um, because I think Arteta does like Gabriel. I think he does give us a lot in the air. I don't think Saliba is great in the air. Um, so I think Arteta will keep that for sure. Um, even after Gabriel's mistake in, in the Fulham game. So it's a tough one that I'm not, I don't fully have like a opinion on what it should be as of now. But yeah, that's sort of my thoughts. I think it's going to be become more of a, like a thing as the season goes on. Okay, I, I, I guess the impression I get, um, and my personal opinion, firstly, is that I don't know about White at right back, but I think Saliba and White are probably the two most talented of the four. Definitely Saliba. I'd agree with that for sure, yeah. Yeah, and I guess what I'm getting from what you're saying is that the trade-off for White versus Tomiyasu seems like related to maybe athleticism and defensive acumen versus ability on the ball and and progressiveness um it would that be correct i think so yeah so basically when we have i think bournemouth game was kind of a good example of how white can work in possession especially when we kind of used him a bit wider um and we pinned the midfield tighter he had a lot of space to run into which is previously what we were using for gabriel on the left but like he's not as good at carrying and then finding those incisive passes I don't think that's something Tomiyasu could do in that position and really offer that. And even with the sort of like the overlap at the end that like White will kind of come in, tuck in, play a pass. And then as like, let's say Saka gets it as he comes in, then he'll provide that run. I think he's, he still does that pretty well. Um, I think him and Tomiyasu are probably similar in what they can do with the overlap. So I think in possession going forward will always be White. It's just about maybe handling like keeping on his man so it really does feel like a trade-off so a lot has been made over the last year or so of manchester united's midfield situation and the so-called mcfred pivot that everyone hates so much but eric ten Hag, with the acquisitions of first christian erickson and then casemiro seems to have gone some way to allaying those doubts Case, what do you think of United's midfield situation as it is? And do you think it's a position of strength or a position of weakness looking ahead to this Arsenal game? Yeah, so we've seen vaguely the same look from United across each of its matches defensively. Usually it's a pivot nominally, uh, but one of the pivot players is a lot more aggressive, uh, initiating the press a little bit higher up the pitch whereas the other one sits deep, which is not uncommon. But what's been odd about it is that different players have played different roles. Um, For instance, Fred started our first match as the deepest midfielder. Uh, Then he played the next match as sort of like the the press-initiating midfielder, which is probably what he's best suited to. And in that match, you actually saw United's defensive structure look more like a 4-3-3 because Fred went higher. And then since then, I'd say it's been more like a pivot, mostly because McTominay's been playing, and his general inclination is to stay deeper. I don't know if that changes with Casemiro. My guess is it does, and that defensively Casemiro will plug in for McTominay in the lineup, sit deeper uh, when we're out of possession, and you'll see Fred sort of start playing that more aggressive role in the press. If it's Fred, 
Alternatively, it might be Erickson, and I think that's actually probably more likely because of what he offers in possession beside Casemiro. And that, I think, is where you'll be able to exploit us because I think Erickson is exhausted already at this point in the season. Um, I wouldn't have even used him against Southampton. We did. Um, I think we'll probably use him again tomorrow or Thursday against Leicester. Um, I wouldn't do that either. Uh, I think we're just running him to the ground, and it showed in that Liverpool match later on. The whole the whole team looked tired. The front six put in a really disciplined, energetic performance in the first 40 minutes or so. Uh, but as the match wore on, we're just not physically in a place where we can play the proactive style of defense that I think we want to, that we aspire to. And that's where you can hit us. Alex, do you think there's any tools in the Arsenal's arsenal that will help us to get at those weaknesses? Um, so I'm interested to see how we play through their team because I don't think we've really faced a, a press or a block like we will when we play United. Um, especially one that kind of commits fully to kind of trying to push us to either side. I think in players like Zinchenko and White, we probably are better technicians than we did last season and also we've got those sort of rotations that we can we can kind of pull teams out of shape i think especially on the left it's a lot more fluid and a lot more sophisticated than it's been in the past so i think breaking through their first line i'll be interested but definitely higher up i think we can i think at least on paper and i'm scared to kind of say this because i'm always terrified of united and i feel like (laughs) whatever i say will will like naturally backfire. But I think we, we stack up well in playing through them to some extent, right? Um, I don't know. I would kind of think it, from what you said, like it makes sense to kind of play Fred potentially. I don't know what you think the problems would be if we if you play Fred. I understand in, in possession sense for sure, but if you play Fred like in a defensive thing, you could kind of create those transition moments and force us to to progress through you a lot easier without even needing like that sort of positional discipline that I think... I'm right in saying Fred doesn't always necessarily offer. Yeah. And now that you have Casemiro alongside, he can kind of defend that space. So I think that would be like a solution against us. But I do think, I think we're well suited to potentially breaking through your system. Just seeing how we have done versus previous systems in the past. um, And now thinking that we're actually better at that now. Yeah, I don't know. I think where the match could be won for Arsenal is United either getting tired and and throwing it later on or making a mistake that like just an individual mistake that leads to Arsenal getting through um and where Arsenal could lose the match is overcommit trying to score or not properly guard runs in behind that United get when they win the ball back as for the Fred and Erickson debate I think it will become a lot more clear against Leicester I think if Fred starts against Leicester you're very likely to see Ericsson against Arsenal. If Ericsson starts against Leicester, you're still relatively likely to see Ericsson against Arsenal, but I think it raises the chance of seeing Fred. Okay, but if we take a little bit more of a subjective approach, perhaps take the Leicester game out of the equation. Imagine they're both fully fit for this Arsenal game. Who would you rather have in there, Ericsson or Fred? It's hard to say. Part of me even thinks I would say play both of them in front of Casemiro. Um, but 
they both offer different things, right? Erickson is going to help United get behind. He's going to help United retain the ball better than Fred. Fred is going to absolutely increase the intensity of the game. And I think he's going to be protected a lot um, by Casemiro compared to what he usually has in United's side, which I think is going to enable him to to really play his full defensive game. And he's historically really good in these games. Um, I also think there's a possibility it could be McTominay. I mean, if I was choosing the lineup for the last two games, I would have started Fred over McTominay. Um, but Ten Hag chose McTominay, which tells me that it could... I mean, I really don't want it to be, but it could be Casemiro and McTominay even, which... That sounds a bit gross, but... <laughs> it, it's very gross on the ball. My, but... gu- my guess is he sees Casemiro as a direct McTominay replacement in this lineup. That's my that guess in my hope. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you look at United's historical, like, under Solskjaer and Rangnick, like, big game lineups, it was Fred and McTominay. I think if you go Fred and Casemiro, that's just a clear upgrade pretty much across the board in terms of how the partnership fits the two players together and the quality of the players because Casemiro is obviously one of the best at what he does. The thing I'm starting to wonder now is are we even having the right discussion here in terms of who to drop from the United midfield? Because we've kind of been assuming this whole time that it'll be either Fred or Ericsson that goes. But there's another spot there there's Bruno Fernandes' spot that we haven't really called into question. Is it possible that both Fred and Ericsson could start and it could be Bruno Fernandes sat on the bench? Case has definitely a stronger opinions than me on this subject, but I think especially in these types of games, I think Casemiro, Ericsson, Fred could be very effective. Basically, we don't have a striker. Bruno is the closest thing we have to a striker in terms of his ability to score goals from open play. Uh, We saw that in the last match. As for in midfield, I don't think a Fred, Casemiro, Bruno midfield could work in the Premier League in matches where United dominate possession because none of those players are high-level ball carriers or high-level against the press. So, yeah, I would play Eriksen in matches. It's it's tough to say because... We really lack goal threat, and, and that's, uh, that changes in the crazy scenario where we get a Simmon, but like, I think this season is going to be walking a high line between having the quality in possession in midfield that you, that you need to play a possession system versus having the goal threat higher up the pitch. And I think that's... Yeah, I think you've gotten at the question very effectively, Alex, for United. Uh, I think that adds just another question like I have is then, let's say, because you want that goal threat with Bruno, right? What do you see him doing against us? Because I think I think your threat for against us is going to be um, hitting us in transition moments, basically. Maybe winning like second balls and then quickly knocking them forward as well to, to guys like Rashford to run on to. Um, but what do you see Bruno's role being there that it's valuable enough that he should start and be the goal threat versus us specifically? If I wasn't worried about Ericsson's fitness, I would not start Bruno in this match. Essentially, what it boils down to is I think United have the midfield options to be able to construct a good midfield for most matches that they'll have to play this season. I don't think they have a midfield that they can play that can deal with any opposition. And... 
I don't think they have a midfield that is um, suscept that is uh, resistant to squad issues based on availability. So if Casemiro gets injured, big problem. If Erickson loses fitness, big problem. And the biggest challenge right now will be choosing the matches in which players like Casemiro and Erickson especially provide the most benefit and then bubble wrapping them for the other matches. So for for example, if if Ten Hag is rolling out Casemiro and Erickson against like um Ammonia, like that doesn't make any sense. Um I think that's an extreme example, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it it extreme on purpose, but like the point is I think ideally the blueprint here was to get Frankie, which would have changed a lot of things. Um, because then you go, Erickson is the player who you can shift around as you need. And then Frankie is the player that you can rely on. Um, and then that midfield is a lot more resistant to issues. Like Frankie and Fred could be a pretty viable pivot. Um, if Casemiro went down. Um, but right now if Casemiro gets hurt, like there isn't really someone who you can expect to scope the defensive issues that that would create. Um, so basically long story short. United have good options in midfield, which in the past they haven't, but they don't have a good set midfield that will work. So it becomes very fixture dependent. Okay, so that just about wraps up the discussion. Thanks so much to Aaron and Case for coming on. Uh, And if you're tuning in from the Devils in the Details side, I hope you've enjoyed the pod and uh, want to stick around for more Arsenal chat. Uh, Before we go, let's get a quick score prediction because I love viral clickbait that I can refer back to if one of us is right. Uh, And as our honoured guests, Aaron and Case, you can go first. And as the alphabet dictates that A is before K, Aaron can start. Great. I'm going to predict a United win because I need one. Um, (laughs) So I'll go 2-1 United. And um, we were talking about this earlier, so I'm just going to go with Lissandro to score. But... I doubt it, but just just in case. It'll be beautiful if it comes off. Case? Yeah, so first, in case we've got traffic from our podcast directed over here because we didn't drop an episode this weekend, I'll say I think we're going to thump Leicester before we even play Arsenal. Um, so I'll go like 3-0 on that match, and then I'll say 1-1 against Arsenal. Well, uh, the Leicester match will have already happened by the time this comes out, so uh, if you're listening, uh, please rant and rave about whether or not Case was right. Uh, Alex, what do you think? I hate predictions. Um, I know. But you know what? I'm going to use it as an excuse because Aaron predicted a win, Case predicted a draw. So let me let me say a win for Arsenal. Um, yeah, I'm, not, I'm really not sure. Like, let me go for 2-1 because it's the, it's the safest potential possible prediction. See, here's the thing. Every single time we've done a prediction, I've predicted a 3-1 win for Arsenal. uh, And I kind of think this is going to be a 3-1 win for Arsenal. I don't want this to be a bit, but also at the same time, that's where I see this match going. Uh, So 3-1 Arsenal is my prediction. I I promise next time I will not predict 3-1 Arsenal. uh, And Alex (laughs) can hold me to this. Uh, but that's just about all we have time for in this section. Carry on listening for a bit of chat about some transfers. Uh, however, before we get into that, uh, Aaron and Case, thanks for coming. If people want to find you guys, where can they find you on the internet? 
Well, number one, Stream Devils in the Details. It's a project that Case and I are both putting a lot of work into. And honestly, so far, the response has been amazing. And I think we've done a pretty good job. I've been pretty happy with the episodes. So that's my number one. And number two is Twitter. We're always on Twitter. Um, I'll let Case plug himself, but uh, I'm at Amunis Football. And soon we'll have a Twitter for Devils in the Details as well. I also just wanted to say, guys, thank you for having us on. And uh, everyone, like... I mean, if you're already listening, you probably already like this podcast, but Alex and Alex are both really great at what they do, and uh, I think this is going to be a really good podcast for you to follow in the future. So if you ever need sane Arsenal uh, Arsenal takes and analysis, which in my opinion are pretty hard to find, uh, this is a good place to start. <laughs> Thank you, Aaron, and I will uh, just completely gloss over the compliment uh, to ask Case where people can find him. Yeah, so uh, Stream Devil's in the details for sure. Um, Aaron puts even more time into it than I do, um, but we both put a lot of effort in, so I, I think it's worth listening to. Uh, as for thanking you guys, thank you guys for having us. Uh, really had a good time. Hope you guys have excellent luck with the podcast and horrible luck with the football this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> Case, what's your Twitter? Oh, uh, at Hemin Case. Case is K-E-E-S. Thanks so much for you guys for coming on. Uh, we will be back with some transfer chat after a five-second jazzy interlude. Okay, uh, so that was the discussion of the United game. I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you do check out Devils in the Details. It's an amazing podcast. The link is in the description. But for the last five, ten minutes, we are going to have a chat about some transfers. Because as we record, Deadline Day is tomorrow. As you're listening, Deadline Day was yesterday. So all of the stuff we're about to say might have been utter bollocks. We'll find out in due course, I suppose. Uh, but... <laughs> Yeah, let's have a quick chat about transfers, what we need, what we're hoping for. Because I heard rumours, well, I, I heard rumours, someone said on Twitter that in Arteta's post-match presser, he said to expect business tomorrow. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure if that's true or not. Also, it, it's just dawned on me that this is coming out after deadline day ends. But you know what? We'll soldier through. Because um, I think just talking about squad depth is a worthwhile discussion. Um and it's definitely something I think I think we do need. I think we need squad depth. There's three positions that we've been linked with. Two and a half, two. We have been linked with signing a midfielder, whether it's a defensive midfielder or a, like, Xhaka replacement number eight uh, is up for debate. Uh, but it's we need a midfielder. Uh, and we've also been linked with a winger to come in and be back up to Saka now that Pepe has gone back to France. Thank Christ. Uh... So let's start with midfield and start with defensive midfield because Thomas Partey is not in the team and Mohamed Elneny, like the number one backup to Partey as the number six, is also an out long term. Yeah, we just we need a guy who can play at six, probably. Um yeah, so I think I think the the question is we definitely need a midfielder. Um but the question is kind of whether it's a six or an eight. And I think a lot of people believe that we need an eight and we can, can kind of drop Jacques into the six if we need it to. I don't really agree with that. I also don't really like Sambi as a six um, for defensive reasons. And those are two 
those are both players that people think can fill in the six. Maybe maybe Sambi's like kind of won me over from tonight's performance. Uh, in possession, I never really had doubts though. So we'll see when he goes when he's whether he's punished a bit defensively because there were those issues tonight. We'll see against United. <laughs> yeah, and that that's still what makes me think that we do need a six. I would really like someone who can fill in in that role as Alneni and Partey do. Um, I think Alneni's out for three months or something, which is crazy because he's generally very sturdy. Um, yeah, so I think we need someone who can kind of protect space and keep the ball like moving, right? Um, and I think we need that over and above an, an eight. The guy that we've been linked with most, like, firmly is Danilo, who we've been tracking since 2020, apparently. And no, not that one, and no, not that one. This Danilo <laughs> is still in Brazil. He's playing for Palmeiras. Uh, and you've watched a little bit of him. To be honest, I've only really watched comps. I can't, I can't claim to be. That's a, a little bit. <laughs> and I've read a couple articles. But initial, initial impressions, he's a little bit less smooth on the ball than I was expecting. He looks like just a little bit less like fluid. I remember him him having sort of Bruno Gomeresh comparisons, and maybe it's just because he's the next big midfielder coming out of Brazil. But he's definitely not fluid or technically tight like that. He can be a bit loose with it. Um, seems to have a good range of pass, which lines up with what I've read. Does seem to be able to like kind of burst and dribble out of out of like tight spaces. Maybe not in the most like gainly way generally more of a use of his athleticism also checks out with what I've read and I've read he's a good defender so he sounds in theory and I can't really speak as an expert but he sounds like he fits that profile that I think we do need what we need in that role is someone who is good defensively in a positional sense is athletic um can play as a pivot which apparently um Danilo can he's mostly played in a double pivot though um rather than mm. a lone pivot um so and can you know pass and I think he does have that in him. So he sounds like a pretty good like understudy and it makes sense from a profile uh, point of view why we've been after him. Can't say too much more about him at that point, but I I like what kind of profile he sounds like. Yeah, and and that brings me on to my one hot take that I have currently, and that is that we're going after the wrong Leicester midfielder. I think, uh, <laughs> based on what you said and what I think we need, we should sign Wilfred and Didi. Yeah, you told me you were going to say something that I would disagree with, and I think you were right. I don't, I don't really want Didi like that, but I'm, I've been caught kind of cold here. I'm not. I don't totally hate it. I just don't know if he's like good enough in terms of recycling, right? Because what I think we need, mm. and this is why I really love Romeo Lavia who obviously we won't be able to get unless we offer like 80 million <laughs> for some reason right now. Yeah, like, let, let's break the world transfer. We should do it. We should do it. I love him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think someone who can both have that like sort of just hold the defensive shape and kind of be that fulcrum and also help us like circulate the ball really smoothly, which I don't think indeed he mm. does. I think he kind of just gives the ball back, gives the ball back, gives the ball back. But rather than working in the space and trying to play like either being that like more like metronomic midfielder or having someone who can mm. kind of break lines and I think Sambi has a bit of both so I'd ideally want someone who has something that, that Sambi kind of has in a possession I don't think from what I've watched and I could be completely wrong I don't know anything about Brazilian football or the level or anything I don't think Danilo is like as going to be as good at like in possession as Sambi but I think he has something about him and I think it's definitely something you can develop into him into I don't know yeah. I don't know 
I think Indili would be great defensively, for sure. Yeah, that, and, and that's, uh, if I'm just to explain myself quickly, that that's the 100% the reason why I think we should sign him. Because the thing that, in my opinion, we miss out on without Partey on the side is that defensive output. I think his on-ball stuff, even the recycling, we can replicate using other players in the starting eleven with Jacko, with Erdogan, with Zinchenko or White coming in from the wide spaces. I think the only thing that Partey does that we don't have anyone else can do in that sixth role is the defensive output, that positioning. And that's the only thing that Ndidi does, really. Like, he's not particularly expansive on the ball, to my knowledge, but he is a monster off it. And I think if we signed him, he would do a really good job of just sitting in that six and breaking up play, and we'd be able to get the on-ball stuff out of other people. See, this is an interesting, like, point of view from you because well, you're kind of saying like the way we're shaped now we can actually get like even guys like Sinchenko to kind of control the play more right and it's weird yeah. because I, I, I understand that point of view and I, I actually I think Odegaard despite being like higher up and I think you'll like from the Villa game he played really high up actually but he's still always the guy who kind of controls the tempo I don't think Partey does that I agree with you but it's weird like how I kind of see it as the, almost the inverse like the way we're inverting and with White and Zinchenko now I kind of see, like, there's less space that we need that, like, number six, that DM, to kind of cover, which is what Partey was really good at, um, is really good at, whatever. I kind of think, like, maybe, I'm still toying with the idea, I'm not, I'm not, like, 100% on it yet, but I wonder if we actually do need that, that defensive, like, monster as much as just someone who can help, like, move the ball quickly and intelligently like with the grain, with the flow, and then against the grain, finding those, just finding those spaces, seeing those runs and stuff, whether that's not more valuable for us, what they do in possession, and being able to receive under pressure, of course. I'm not actually sure. Ndidi isn't used that way a lot, so I'm not really sure how good he would be. I don't think he's that good at it, mm. intuitively. I could be wrong. Yeah, I, I mean, there's not probably not much point in dwelling on this point, because the only way we're getting Wilfred and DD is if Edu is the FBI agent sat in my webcam and he's listening right now and thinks, <laughs> oh, yeah, that Towels guy knows what he's on about. Uh, like, there's no links at all. This is just something I've been thinking on the down low for a while. I still think it brings up an interesting question about, like, mm. whether that's that, that sixth position feels less crucial in just terms of, like, a, a need for a skill set and, like, how much we depend on, but it's interesting whether we depend on it now for like the defensive solidity of office, which we still do to some extent, or whether we rely more on it being that like that fulcrum that just helps us move the ball around. I feel like it's maybe less so defensively potentially, especially with Saliba covering that ground behind, like he's a really good sweeper. I think you're right when Partey's fit and he's in the side, or when even when Sambi's fit and in the side, because that's the thing he can do, he can replicate from Partey. But I, I, I think the fact that we do, with our current Partey replacements, become much weaker in defensive transition, it would just be useful to have a guy whose job it was to do that, yeah. to be able to plug in if needed. I for sure think whoever we get, it has to be someone who can be positionally disciplined, can be you know, mobile enough to get back and kind of win the ball. I 100% believe that. It's just to the extent of how important that is versus in-possession stuff now that I'm that I'm not yet decided on. So let's move on because we don't have much time uh, and quickly discuss the number eight position because still Yuri Tillmans is the only guy we're really linked to there. 
so the only thing I want to know, Alex, is if when this podcast comes out on Friday afternoon, uh, the only thing we did on deadline day on Thursday was pick up Yuri Tielemans for £30 million. Pounds. <laughs> How would you feel? Look, I, I'll say I think we're stronger for sure. Um, we're stronger for it. Um, I think I w- I've, I've been a bit harsh on him in the past. Like He's a good player. He just leaves me a little bit cold in terms of, I think, what he does versus like the downsides that he has. I think we can actually get a lot of goals out of him, to be honest. I think that could be even maximized on more than what he's done at, at Leicester. When I look at the role that like Jacques is playing in, whether he has the engine to play like Jacques has been playing, like I was very impressed, as I said earlier, right at the beginning of the part about how much ground Jacques was covering today. I'm less certain, and this has always been like my downside with him. I don't like Tielemans in a defensive sense. I uh, never have. And I also feel like he can be a bit slack in possession. As, as Don't get me wrong, like technically he's unreal, but then he also has like these really sloppy moments that like leave me a bit cold about him. Um, but I will say like he makes a lot of sense in that eight role, and I understand why we want him. But yeah, if I had to, I, I would prefer us to have a defensive midfielder because I think it's more important structurally, and I actually think Jacques is doing a good job. Uh, and you, you hear that, listener? You hear those little compromises, those little, don't get me wrong, I think he's good. That's Alex <laughs> mentally preparing himself for for Yuri Tielemans' signing. I do, I do. That, that's what that is. <laughs> I do, but yeah. Mm. Uh, and, and the last position we do quickly want to talk about, and I think had uh, Party and then El Nani not both gone down in the last week, we would agree is the mo- position of most need is a right winger. And a backup for Saka so that Paul Ladd can get some rest in his legs. Uh, the the Pedro Neto rumours seem to have died a death very quickly. I don't know if you have any idea where they went, or did we just stop hearing about it and that's it? I think we just got priced out of it. Um, I think we were trying to get them for about 35 million and they were they were pushing for like at least 45 to 50 and it makes sense that we, we move away. Yeah, fair enough. Um, and there's also Mudrik, the uh, Ukrainian, who, I'll be perfectly honest, I had never heard of until someone sent me a link to him being linked with us. Like, that's <laughs> that's the first I've heard of him. I, I, know, I, know, I know about him. I can't say I know, like, I've watched too much of him. Um, he looks really good from comps. Again, we're not... We're not. Maybe we're woefully underprepared to scout these guys for for our yeah, podcast. The Arsenal pod. comps FC. Yeah, podcast pod listeners. Um, weirdly, he's a left wing. I, I guess that's maybe less important. We can play Martinelli right. We can play Emil Smith Rowe right if we need. Um, but yeah, I do think we need a winger. I don't think we're going to get a winger. What does maybe give me comf- comfort is I can deal with that if we do get a defensive midfielder. And it it probably means that we can play Fabio Vieira on the wing if we need. We also have Nelson, who didn't get a transfer away or a loan away. He's got one year left in his deal. I don't know what the plan is with him. But basically, he was injured. He kind of oxlade Chamberlain himself, and he's going to be here come the end of the window. I like him as a player. Um, l- less confident about him at senior level than I was at youth level. But he can definitely do well in the Europa League. I think he ended like his spell at Feyenoord pretty strongly as as much as far as I understand. 
did well in one of the conference league semifinals versus Marseille. It was really good, I thought. Um, and then there's also Marquinhos, who the club is like a lot, and he's been doing well for the under-21s. So we at least have bodies there. Whether we have the quality, I'm less sure on, but I'm also not sure Mudrik's like ready at that level yet. Um, that's not like a doubt. It's just I'm really not sure. Uh, and we will leave the podcast there. Thanks very much for listening to this episode of the Pot Shop Podcast. Uh, next week is going to be a little bit different. I'm not going to be around. It will be hosted by the wonderful Sav from Scouted Football, who was in our first episode, if you remember. So make sure you tune in for that. I'm sure he's got some amazing content lined up, especially after the United game, which we're all looking forward to. And of course, make sure you check out Devils in the Details if you fancy getting the lowdown on what United have actually been up to uh, amongst all that funny stuff that they've been doing, because it's just funny to laugh at them. Uh, But yeah, thanks, Alex, for being on the pod, as always. Pleasure. Thank you. Uh, thanks to Aaron and Case, who aren't here, uh, but you know what? We'll thank them anyway. Thanks to James Blake for the music that he makes. You can find a link to his Spotify in the description. And of course, thanks to you for listening. We'll be back next week, even though I won't be here, for a look back on United Against Arsenal. The podcast will see you then. I'll see you in two weeks. Bye.